0: Homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. One of our Kalyanamitta has asked, Meditators seem to fall into two baskets with the jhanas. One, you really need them and can get intoxicated with them. Or two, you don't need them and ignore them entirely. So this might be a silly question. But I respectfully ask anyway, what's the deal with the jhanas? We know the Buddha taught them in a lot of suttas and encouraged them. But what is the true purpose or reason for developing the jhanas? So this isn't a silly question, it's actually an important one to focus the mind and also in how we approach developing the jhanas. It's good to know why and it's good to know the purpose or the reason, as you say, for developing the jhanas. A few things to clarify at the outset. As we've said before, people develop concentration for multiple reasons. So we've said before that people develop concentration or want to develop concentration because there's something easeful or something very helpful about concentration. And so we have mundane concentration, which comes from honing in on one's skill or task, and that applies to sports, one's work, one's studies, and the things that we enjoy doing, central things. There's also the concentration that comes from techniques that were there before the time of the Buddha, as well as different religious traditions and things of that nature. And their objective is different. They have different views around the development of concentration. But when it comes to the Buddha, the Buddha's teaching or the Dhamma stands on its own. And the true purpose behind that, of course, is complete liberation from all suffering. So we're going to look at some of the Buddha's words to really answer this question. But it's really important to note that when we answer this question, we're specifically looking at the Buddha's true purpose or reason for developing the jhanas. So this is not anything else that's mixed with that. It's specifically going into what the Buddha has said himself about it. And we don't have to believe the Buddha in what he says. We actually need to practice it and to see for ourselves directly what it is to develop the jhanas. And what you'll find is to correctly enter the jhanas and abide in the jhanas, you need to follow the Buddha's instructions. When it comes to the two baskets of you really need the jhanas or you don't need them, I think it's always good to come back to what the Buddha has taught. And when you look at the Noble Eightfold Path, it becomes quite clear the answer to that. Of course, there's this idea that is also in the suttas around Samatha and vipassana, And there are meditations where they are separately dealt with, but there are also many, many teachings where they come together. And so the answer is really not to divide the Buddha's teachings unnecessarily, not to make it more complex, not to have a very strong position, but to look at the Buddha's teaching on its merits. Each sutta, tells you what is needed. Each insight pathway shows you what needs to be developed. And if you really look at the Noble Eightfold Path, you see that right concentration is something that is part of the fruit of developing the Noble Eightfold Path correctly. And so when it comes to developing jhanas, you follow his instructions. And in suttas and also these insight pathway meditations, It's very clear what kind of result you're meant to get. And so that's where the confidence and conviction towards the Dhamma comes in. The Buddha always says to us, if you want to see the Buddha, you practice the Dhamma, and in the Dhamma you see the Buddha. That is our encouragement, that it is only through our direct experience, because we can theorize and talk about concepts and fair enough in the study of the Dhamma. But when it comes to the direct experience, that's the one that the Buddha really says is really important. Because from that direct experience, you develop the higher training in virtue, the higher training in the concentration of mind, and therefore the higher wisdom. And all those things help us to come to the complete end of suffering. So really important thing is, when they say means to an end, That has a particular connotation when it comes to developing the jhanas. The jhanas are a means to an end. And so when you look at developing the Noble Eightfold Path as the way leading to the cessation of all suffering, when we practice the Sutta meditations, when we really take on board the instructions of the Buddha, we're actually developing this Noble Eightfold Path, which becomes the Tenfold Path. So you can see that we establish the right view So right view always leads, we develop right intention, and then we have the virtue path factors of right speech, right action, right livelihood. And of course, right effort, right mindfulness are helping right view to actually make this all happen. If you develop that correctly, then you get the right concentration. And that's the means to an end because if you develop right concentration, steady it, stabilize it, have the luminosity of that concentration, then what happens is you come to the right knowledge and the right liberation. And so that is the true purpose of the jhanas. It's a means to an end. And so when you read in the Sutras about right concentration, you always find the description for entering into the four jhanas. And of course, as we know, the noble path is the way leading to the cessational suffering. So the Buddha's teaching, when you look at the four noble truths, There is suffering, there is the origin of suffering, there is the cessation of suffering, and there is the way leading to the cessation of all suffering. Jhanas is part of that. It's the means to the end, to the ending of all suffering. Another way of looking at this is also through the higher training. So we've talked about higher training in virtue, in concentration of mind or higher mind, and also higher wisdom. So these are the things that help us towards liberation, towards Nibbāna. So when we look at where jhanas fit in, they fit in in terms of training in the higher mind. So adhicitta sikā. So we develop virtue as one of the higher trainings and in doing so it helps us to develop the concentration of mind. We have the right foundation for that. So if you look at training in the higher mind or concentration of mind, Once you're secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states such as the defilements, hindrances, then you enter and dwell in the first jhana, the second jhana, the third jhana, and the fourth jhana. But it doesn't stop there. One needs that as the platform or foundation for developing higher wisdom. Because when you're troubled by the hindrances, defilements, or overtaken by intoxication with sensual pleasures, You don't have anything stable enough or steady enough that doesn't shake in order for higher wisdom to be developed, to really see the truth behind what does the Buddha mean about the Four Noble Truths? What is this arising and passing away phenomena? Things like that. So when you have that platform or foundation of the Four Jhanas, it is possible to discern the truth. As the Buddha says, understand it as it really is. And in doing so, the path opens up and you're able to see, okay, how am I supposed to destroy the taints? What are the knowledges that help me towards conviction in this particular path, in these truths? So that's how the jhanas fit in. And if you will, that's the reason behind why the Buddha encourages us in many suttas to develop the jhanas. When we had our Poya session, our Uposatha session, on the Mahasaropama Sutta. So this was the simile of the heartwood, the greater discourse on that. And we looked at the different parts of the tree. So we looked at the leaves and twigs and the outer bark, inner bark, and the sapwood and the heartwood. And we looked at these different things that provided a context for our spiritual practice. When you look at this, you see that the benefit of the attainment of concentration is actually number three and this is the inner bark. So when you think about the attainment of concentration through the four jhanas, it is not the end of the practice. It is simply the inner bark. We need it in order to develop further. So you might get the attainment of gain, honor, and praise as part of practice, but you go beyond that to understand the benefit of the attainment of virtue. But then you realize that this path is not simply about virtue and so you develop further, so you develop the attainment of concentration, and then you realize, actually, it's not simply about the benefit of the attainment of concentration, you need to develop further, and so you develop for the benefit of knowledge and vision, and then you realize, that's not it either, insight knowledge, the three knowledges, that's not it, it's not simply about that, Initially, you might understand certain things about the arising and passing away phenomena, certain things about dependent origination, certain dhammas that are associated with the path. But that's not it. One needs to develop then the unshakable deliverance of the mind, akupa vimutti. And so when that happens, you realize Nibbāna. And so when you look at the Mahasaropama Sutta, you see the context for the development of concentration. It is definitely a blessing of the path because Buddha says that it enables you to have pleasant abiding in this life. And certainly you do need the attainment of concentration in order to have the strength for the remainder of the path. When you look at the trainee's mode of progress, so this is what Venerable Ananda was explaining to the lay people, the Sakyans, in the Sekhaparipadha Sutta. He was invited by the Buddha to give a teaching. This was after the Buddha had been teaching the Sakyans for a while and he was going to take some rest. When you look at the things that Venerable Ananda went through, he essentially said, When a noble disciple is consummate in virtue, guards the doors to the sense faculties, eats in moderation, and is dedicated to wakefulness, they have seven good qualities, and they get the four jhanas, blissful meditations in the present life, they belong to the higher mind or higher concentration of mind. When they want, without trouble or difficulty, then one is called a disciple of the noble ones who follows the trainee's mode of progress. This was particularly about the trainee's conduct. So the arahant, and including the Buddha, has developed these qualities in conduct, so accomplishments in conduct. But in addition to that, there's also the three knowledges. So when that happens, when they're fully developed, then the arahant, just like the Buddha, is accomplished in knowledge and conduct. So the four jhanas are developed as well as part of the trainee's mode of progress. So you develop the virtue, guarding the doors to the sense faculties, moderation and eating, wakefulness, and then the seven good qualities of conviction, moral shame, fear of wrongdoing, very learned, or having heard much, being energetic, or having active energy, mindfulness and wisdom, and of course the four jhanas. So you can see that it is something that helps a learner or trainee, a seeker, towards developing the noble path. These are all things that help us towards Nibbana. And once you are able to develop the four jhanas, then it's possible to develop the three knowledges. So this teaching in the Seikha Sutta, it gives us this gradual training, this gradual practice, this gradual progress that needs to be made. And this all aids our development towards complete liberation, nibbāna. And the other teaching that goes along with the Sekha Sutta is this Nagaropama Sutta in Angkutta Nikaya, Chapter 7, Discourse number 67. This one is where the Buddha himself talks about the seven good qualities and also the four jhanas. In this simile the Buddha says, when a king's frontier citadel is well provided with seven essentials and gets four kinds of sustenance when needed, without trouble or difficulty, It is then called a king's frontier citadel, that cannot be overrun by external foes and enemies. In the same way, when a noble disciple has seven good qualities, and they get the four absorptions, blissful meditations, in the present life that belong to the higher mind or higher concentration of mind, when they want, without trouble or difficulty, they are then called a noble disciple, who cannot be overrun by Mara, who cannot be overrun by the wicked one. So in the simile, the Buddha gives four kinds of sustenance or food: hay, wood, and water, and this is representative of the first jhana, and then rice and barley, which is representative of the second jhana, sesame, green gram, and black gram, which is representative of the third jhana, and finally medicine, which is ghee, butter, oil, honey, molasses, and salt, which is representative of the fourth jhana. What's different about this particular sutta is that the Buddha makes it very clear the jhanas are part of the qualities that make you strong, that it's difficult for mara or other challenges to come and overrun you, disturb you from developing the path, the noble path. And we'll see from other teachings of the Buddha why this is so. When the mind is stronger, more stable, more concentrated, more unified, it cannot be disturbed. It cannot be troubled. In that sense, it makes the task a lot easier. The encouragement is repeated to be able to enter and abide in the jhanas whenever you want, without trouble or difficulty. And so for those who practice and can access the jhanas more readily, you know that this is true, that when you contemplate in the jhanas, it's actually easier to see the truth. And definitely, if you want to be able to cultivate the knowledges, you can't do it when the mind is on a slippery slope, always wanting sensual pleasures, always blocked or covered by the five hindrances. Another helpful sutta is the Avijja Sutta, which we've also been through before. But the context for the Avijja Sutta is that We remain bound to samsara, to the transmigration from birth to birth, to continuing with suffering if we keep breeding ignorance. So the Avijja Sutta gives us one inside pathway that shows us how do we keep developing ignorance and not able to cut off suffering. And then on the other hand, it also gives us the inside pathway that leads to true knowledge and liberation and shows us what is the nourishment for all those things. So when it comes to ignorance, What you see here is that ignorance has the nourishment of the five hindrances and the five hindrances has the nourishment of the three kinds of misconduct through body, speech and mind. If you remember from the Buddha's teaching, what helps to overcome the five hindrances is the four jhanas. When you enter the first jhana, you have abandoned the five hindrances and you can develop from there. But if you don't enter the jhanas, it makes it very difficult to not be troubled by the five hindrances. So when the five hindrances are still there, you can see that it's nourishing ignorance. We're not free of that. So that's one of the key things to note. When you do have the four jhanas, then although it's not explicit to the other inside pathway that leads to true knowledge and liberation, we know that it is there. We know that it is part of the inside pathway that leads there. In accordance with that, you're able to develop other bodhipakya dhammas, such as the satipakana, the establishments of mindfulness, also the bhujangas, the factors of enlightenment. And so these are the things that are very helpful in contrast to the things that obstruct the path. One of the suttas that helps us to emphasize the point about the five hindrances is the Upakilesa sutta, this is from Anguttara Nikaya, Chapter 5, Discourse No. 23. The Buddha says, Bhikkhus, there are these five defilements of gold, defiled by which gold is not malleable, wieldy and luminous, but brittle and not properly fitted for work. What five? Iron, copper, tin, lead and silver. These are the five defilements of gold, defiled by which gold is not malleable, wieldy and luminous, but brittle and not properly fit for work. But when gold is freed from these five defilements, it is malleable, wieldy and luminous, pliant and properly fit for work. Then whatever kind of ornament one wishes to make from it, whether a bracelet, earrings, a necklace or a golden garland, one can achieve one's purpose. And then the Buddha explains that by saying, so too bhikkhus, there are these five defilements of the mind. Defiled by which the mind is not malleable, wieldy, and luminous, but brittle and not properly concentrated for the destruction of the taints. What five? Sensual desire, ill-will, dullness and drowsiness, restlessness and worry, and doubt. These are the five defilements of the mind. Defiled by which the mind is not malleable, wieldy, and luminous, but brittle and not properly concentrated for the destruction of the taints. But when the mind is freed from these five defilements, it becomes malleable, wieldy, luminous, pliant, and properly concentrated for the destruction of the taints. Then, there being a suitable basis, one is capable of realizing any state, realizable by direct knowledge, toward which one might incline the mind. So when we apply the four jhanas, in order to overcome the five hindrances, this makes it possible for us to destroy the taints and realize nibbāna. So, this is a very good reason for developing the four jhanas. And when you think about development, all the things that are needed, such as the Bodhipakya Dhammas, of which the Noble Eightfold Path is included in that. And you see, when we look at the five powers and the five spiritual faculties, it's the same thing. If we go to the Vitatta Sutta, which is Angkutrikai Chapter 5, Discourse Number 14, and also the Duttia Vibhanga Sutta, which is Samyutta Nikaya, chapter 48, discourse number 10. When we look at the power of concentration, as well as the spiritual faculty of concentration, they say the same thing. Here, secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states, a bhikkhu enters and dwells in the first jhana. And it goes through the same explanation that we've been through before. And then the second jhana, the third jhana, and the fourth jhana. So this is what the Buddha defines as the power of concentration, as well as the spiritual faculty of concentration. So you're developing the factors of enlightenment that help you. The four jhānas is part of that. When the Buddha teaches about the four profitable directions, so we know them as the painful practices and also the pleasant practices, so the dukkha-patipadās and the sukha-patipadās. So there are four in total. We have painful practice with slow realisation, Dukkapatipadha Danda Bhinaya. There's also painful practice with quick realisation, patipada Kipa Binya. And also we know that Venvomaha Moggallana, he realised Nibbana through painful practice with quick realisation. And then we have pleasant practice with slow realisation, which is Sukkapatipadha Danda Bhinaya. And we also have pleasant practice with quick realisation, patipada Kipa Binya. And we know that Venerable Sariputta realized nibbana through the fourth profitable direction. So when it comes to the jhanas, it's very apparent that these jhanas really help us to overcome many things. You need the steadiness, the unshakable concentration, the unification of the mind that comes with the jhanas in order to develop these different practices, these doorways to nibbana. In doing so, what happens if you? Remember, the flip side of these profitable directions is the unprofitable directions. What we're overcoming when we develop the four jhanas as part of these practices is we're overcoming the clinging, the bonds, the body ties, the underlying tendencies, the hindrances, the floods, the darts. So, you need that level of strength in order to overcome. And they work hand in hand with the other Bodhipakya Dhammas. So they work hand in hand with the four bases of spiritual power, the Noble Eightfold Path, the powers, spiritual faculties, establishments of mindfulness, all of it. So they all come together when you develop in this particular direction, the profitable direction. We can also refer to chapter 53 of the Sanyutta Nikaya, and this is the Jhana Sanyutta. And these are all the linked discourses associated with the Jhanas. We're just going to reference two particular quotes. The first is from the Ganga Payala Vakka, and it says, Bhikkhus, just as the river Ganges slants slopes and inclines towards the east, so too a Bhikkhu, who develops and cultivates the four Jhanas, slants slopes and inclines towards Nibbāna." And then the second is, because there are the five higher fetters. What five? Lust for form, lust for the formless, conceit, restlessness, and ignorance. These are the five higher fetters. The four jhanas are to be developed for the direct knowledge of the five higher fetters, for the full understanding of them, for their destruction, for their abandoning. So you can see that there is more to the four jhanas. They are also helping us to develop other parts of the path and to see through certain things that are binding us to samsara. The encouragement is to train in the four jhanas. It's really training to strengthen our practice, to strengthen the steadiness in the mind and incline towards nibbana. We can end our session here. Let's share the merit with all sentient beings. May all beings be happy and well. May all beings be free from suffering. Blessings of the Triple Gem. Wishing you all well. Pero night.